It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, when we last left um, talking with Dr. Michael Gillen, we were talking about the quantum vacuum and how the New Testament and Jesus' words were really very much like a scientist's understanding of this sort of translogical concept. And translogical, and he's going to explain it a little bit further. It's something that is true but can't be proven empirically, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, Dr. Gillen's book, Believing is Seeing, um, will really turn your heads. And this is about a physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of faith. Um, it really will turn your worldview upside down and make you rethink what you thought you knew about the Bible and about science. Dr. Michael Gillen is trained in physics, astronomy, and mathematics. He is a scientist who journeyed from atheism to Christianity, not in spite of his scientific mind, but because of it. And you've probably seen him on ABC Good Morning America and 2020 as a science commentator. He has this new book we've been talking about, Believing is Seeing. And he joins me now for part two of our conversation. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Lauren. I can't wait to get into the meat now <laughs> with you. So this is going to be fun. This is, you know, let's re- let's refresh about a quantum vacuum. What is a quantum vacuum? Okay, so a quantum vacuum is um, kind of a contradiction in terms, and that's why I discuss it in the book. Um, it is, on the one hand, um, nothing just like the classical vacuum. You know, Mm -hmm. when you you took science class in school, um, the teacher pumped air out of a bell jar and there was nothing left inside. That's a classical vacuum. So quantum vacuum is that, but it's also the opposite of that. It's everything. So here we have within the quantum vacuum, I think a concept that typifies where science is heading. In a nutshell, the headline here, Lauren, really going into our discussion is that instead of demystifying the world, science is actually mystifying it. Mm. And the, the concept of the quantum vacuum is a perfect example of that. It is a contradiction of terms. It is at once nothing and everything. And when I say everything, I mean, I mean that. Because according to modern cosmology, and cosmology is one of my specialties, um, the universe uh, came from the quantum vacuum. And you, the universe, by definition, is everything we know. So here is something that is supposed to be nothing, and yet it is everything. And, and I almost like, because I'm, you know, I'm And this really Mexican. goes, this actually then pairs with the Bible's understanding out of nothing comes something. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it, this is yes. really how, the, you know, the Bible explains the beginning and God said, let there be light. And so there's this idea that, you know, if you go back far enough, you've got the unmovable mover. Yes. That made something mover. out of nothing. Right. Yeah. Because, but yes, because the Bible clearly states in Genesis that in the beginning there was a void. 
And then God moved over the void and caused everything to come into being. Well, in its own way, science is now saying the very same thing. And let me remind your listeners that up until about the 1940s, the 1940s, that's like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. We, we in science believed that the universe had no beginning. We, we clung to the belief, and it was thousands of years old, this belief, going back to Aristotle and even beyond that. We clung to the belief that the universe that we see today has always existed the way we see it today and will always exist the way we see it today. It was a kind of an eternal universe. But then when you know Hubble came up with his discovery that the galaxies seemed to be moving apart from each other, giving the impression that somehow the universe exploded into being. Like a big bang. Some, <laughs> like a big bang, exactly. And you know, Fred Hoyle, who actually I got to know at Cornell, he was a visiting scholar at Cornell when I was a grad student there. It was just really kind of dumb luck. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, but I got to know Fred Hoyle, lovely guy, atheist, by the way, but a very honest atheist. And, you know, we can get into that at some other time, but he's the one who coined the term Big Bang. And it was actually meant to be derogatory. He, <laughs> he was referring to it as an, ah, that big, that Big Bang theory. But uh, that put science, when that happened, when, when we realized, when the evidence was staring us in the face that the universe has not always existed, but that it had a beginning, that was a very awkward moment for science because we now had to come up with an explanation for, well, <laughs> where did it come from? I mean, it, in other words, it, it didn't exist and then it did exist. So what triggered its existence? And that's where the Big Bang came from. And then eventually the quantum vacuum wasn't, I want to say invented. It really was. Quantum vacuum was invented. It, it's a, it's a, it's a part and parcel of the of quantum mechanics. So I don't right. want to say quantum in, physics, quantum quantum well, you mechanics. Know, you and, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. But that's right. where quantum mechanics. That's but, where the quantum vacuum came in. It was nothing and something. But the the idea though, and this is interesting, that Einstein, who you know is the discoverer of the theory of, theory of relativity, e, e equals m c squared. Right. Believe that that the quantum physics would kind of solve everything. That 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 it would sort of you know find us the grand um, uh, universal theory and you know the gut. But it never really yeah. did. And he even died thinking, "I the more we know about quantum physics, the less we know." It seems well, as this. Yes, and that and this is what gets back to what I was saying that instead of de you, you would think that science would demystify the world. In fact, if you listen to a lot of uh, people, not just atheists, but just people who are frankly poorly informed, there's no other there's kinder way to put it, um, you know, they, they will somehow tout science as being in the business of demystifying the world. That, you know, we were these Stone Age uh, uh, numbskulls who, you know, cowered at the sound of thunder and thought lightning was... Uh, uh, sent down from God and, you know, oh, how silly and superstitious we were. And now look, now we're scientists and we're <laughs> demystifying the world. We know what thunder is. We know what lightning is. But the fact is we, we aren't demystifying the world. And quantum mechanics is perfect. Again, a perfect, not just the quantum vacuum, but the whole of quantum mechanics, as you just indicated, uh, Lauren, has actually mystified the world more than ever. I mean, it has introduced into our scientific vocabulary, concepts that are 
difficult to imagine. They, they really border on being supernatural. In fact, I think some of them are just flat out supernatural. Yeah, the, one, I mean, the quantum the, vacuum itself is supernatural. There's one thing, though, that I, I was blown away by that because it reminded me of something that that happens in one of the Gospels uh, during um, our. Yes, it's in the Gospel or it's in the Book of Acts where Jesus appears to his apostles and he appears to be like he appears and then he disappears. I mean, he goes right through the door. And you talk about this as when you talked about the wonderland of quantum physics. And one of the qualities of quantum physics is that it that that atoms can exist in many places at once. And this is a this is a phenomenon that science knows exists when the properties of atoms in quantum physics. And here you've got in the New Testament something that a that God himself has done this. That Jesus has done this and it says so in the Bible that he just sort of appeared. And this is yeah. 2000 years ago. This is not, you know, science fiction writing today. This is something that the gospel writers actually wrote and they just wrote it down because it happened not understanding how it happened. And here science this, is almost oh. verifying it. It, no, it is. I mean, look, I mean, you have picked a perfect example, and I'm glad you did. Uh, and we didn't rehearse this, right? I mean, no. you, I, I didn't know you were going to talk about this, but it's actually a perfect example because, again, here's the headline. Science is, as it, as it advances, science is actually not discrediting the Bible. It's doing just the opposite. Wow. And, you know, in cynics and skeptics and people who kind of thumb their nose at the Bible, who probably have never read the Bible, certainly never studied the Bible, will have you believe that, in fact, as we learn more and more about science, the Bible kind of becomes more and more obsolete. It becomes more and more laughable. Mm-hmm. Well, just the opposite is true, as I explain in my book. And this is a perfect example. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, he didn't come in through the door. He didn't like knock and then walk in the door. No, he just kind of materialized in front of them. And that is a a very conventional example of a quantum mechanical concept. We call it tunneling. And that without getting into the details, but as you indicate too, um, I'm I'm trying to do this without getting too much into the weeds, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in quantum mechanics, it's like, as you say, well, let me go back to classical physics. In classical physics, uh, an individual like myself is in one place. We're fully localized. I can point at a, I can point to um, coordinates on uh, an XYZ axis or XYZT, a four-dimensional axis, right? And say, that's where Michael Gillen is right now. He Mm -hmm. is right there. And I can put my finger on that point. Well, quantum mechanics completely demolishes that idea of localization. We now believe that I'm actually concentrated. I'm most probably found at that point. But there are Michael Gillen's literally smeared throughout the entire universe. So you never know where Michael Gillen could actually appear. So when Jesus appears to the disciples, it's actually nothing supernatural. It's purely quantum mechanical. And quantum mechanics now provides us with an explanation for that, whereas classical mechanics did not. So now the Bible is more credible than ever before. You know, it's interesting you're talking about Fred Hoyle and that he's atheist. um, And, you know, a lot of people assume that atheism is actually closer to science than Christianity or any other religion, but let's just stick with Christianity. But what you found when you actually 
you know, put the laundry list of attributes of science and Christianity and atheism, that Christianity actually lined up with science all, on all, you know, lists, on all um, uh, qualities, and atheism had none. How is that? How is that being when everybody thinks atheism is closer to science than Christianity? I know. I know, Lauren. Look, I mean, it was a shock to me when I first discovered it. And you're right. Look, I'm a scientist. So I am by training and by nature, someone who, who guys, wherever there is a question that is raised, I go right to the facts. Mm-hmm. Remember, who, who was it? It was some guy on TV always said, let's go to the videotape. Let's go to the videotape. <laughs> I forget who it was, some sports guy. And then let's go to the videotape. Well, with me, it's like, let's go to the facts. Let's go to the facts. <laughs> and when I, you know, when I, I was off meandering through Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and, you know, trying to find, find answers to my deep questions, uh, at one point in that winding journey of mine, I said, well, let me, let me just go to the facts and let me just see how does my atheism, because I was an atheist back then, how does my atheism stack up with what I'm learning in science? And then while I'm at it, let me let me compare, you know, how Christianity stacks up against science. Mm-hmm. And I did it with all the other religions as well. But let's just stick to those three. And of course, like you have just indicated, I fully expected that I would come up with a conclusion that totally vindicated my atheism. I figured I'm going to do this. And I created a matrix, you know, a three by three matrix. Again, just as a scientist would do, very factual. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, this is going to vindicate my atheism. I'm going to nail it down and it's going to totally vanquish Christianity. Well, (laughs) shock of shock, shocks, um, just the opposite. I found what? What? (laughs) Christianity lines up with science in every major category, with every major question you can ask about the universe. And that for me was a game changer. That's when I started kind of taking Christianity a little more seriously. And what were some of those questions? What were some of those questions that you asked that made Christianity line up with science? So, for example, uh, does absolute truth exist Uh, Is the universe wired for life? Um, Are there truths that cannot be proved? Uh, What is the nature of light? Are humans unique? I mean, these are deep questions. This is not like what what, what's one in one. Yeah. Or, you know, these are not shallow, silly, superficial questions. I mean, those are questions that get to the very root of the universe we live in and the very root of truth. And guess what? In every one of those categories and, and others that I also interrogated the various worldviews, boom, 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 boom. It was like pulling the lever on one of those slot machines in Las Vegas and coming up <laughs> cherries. I mean, it was like ding, 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 ding. science and Christianity, boom, hand in hand. They agreed. Science and atheism, eh, they didn't agree. They literally wow. were opposites. They're, uh, and that, I think, is going to be one of the shocks when people read this book. You know, I want to be as shocked as I was. Let's take a let's take a break here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, because when we come back, I want to talk about the value of light. And I think that's where a lot of these things are going to come together. Um, It it blows me away, actually. Um, We'll be right back on Lighthouse Faith Podcast with Dr. Michael Gillen. 
Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Okay, we are back with Dr. Michael Gillen talking about his book, Believing is Seeing, a physical, uh, a physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of faith. And one of the things you say in the book, which, which I glommed on because, of course, you know, I wrote a book called Lighthouse Faith, you talk about how light has a sacred status in Wonderland, when Wonderland you call, you call basically quantum physics or, you know, quantum physics, but also it, it, it has a sacred status in the Bible as well. And this is what blew me away. Now, explain to me how light has sacred status in quantum physics. Okay, I will. But first, what the, the verse in the Bible that, that I looked at when I was kind of exploring Christianity, which kind of got me, got me onto this train of thought, was 1 John 1.5. And 1 John 1.5 says, quite simple, it's a very, it's a very declarative uh, statement. God is light. In him there is no darkness. Okay, repeat. God Dark. is light. In him there is no dark. It doesn't say like God is kind of like light or God is analogous. No, it says God is light. And I thought to myself as a scientist, again, I was still an atheist at the time. I thought, well, that's a pretty bold statement because as a scientist, I know all about light. And then I thought, bing, wait a minute. What have I been learning in quantum mechanics? Yes. Well, I have been learning that light... <clears throat> has a sacred status. What do I mean by that? Well, it started with Einstein, actually, before quantum mechanics. The special theory of relativity, he made a very provocative statement that has since been confirmed by experiments, okay, one experiment after another. He declared in the special theory of relativity that the speed of light is sacred. That is to say, there is no material entity in the universe that can ever travel at the speed of light. It's like a, a, a despite what Star Wars and everybody, despite what Star Wars yeah. and all the science fiction movies say, right? Yeah. Now, I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit. I know our time is limited, and of course, I deal with this in the book in, in more in detail. But I'm going to just give you the highlights. So okay. that was the first thing that hit hit me. I said, okay, well, wow. God in Christianity, in the Christian worldview, God certainly has a sacred status in the universe. And now right off the bat is science, the scientific worldview. Uh, we're declaring the same thing, that light has a, a sacred status. Then I pursued it beyond that. I, I, it, it, throughout the history of science, we've always felt that you could divide up um, things in the universe into two broad categories. Either they were particulate or they were wave-like. In other words, they were either like little BB, they were constructed like little BBs, mm -hmm. or they were constructed like, you know, ripples on a pond. Okay, again, without getting into the details, because we just don't have the time. So <clears throat> the question became, well, okay, what, what category does light fall into? And Newton kind of started things off by saying, well, light, I think, is uh, particle-like. I think it's like a little BB. Right, little, right. When you see light coming at you, little BBs of light, the shape of the BBs determine the color. Okay, great. And everybody said, you know, like, well, I'm with Newton because he was so smart. But then uh, Huygens, Christian Huygens, who was a Dutch scientist who was, you know, not as brilliant as Newton, but he was also not chopped liver. He had just the opposite opinion. And he made a very strong argument for the, uh, for the thesis that 
No, light really be- behaves like ripples on a pond, not like particles. Like and a so wave. That, uh, yes, like, uh, like a wave, like ripples on a pond, like a wave. So it's either particle or wave. <clears throat> and, and that dispute kind of hung in the air for quite a while until Thomas Young came along. He was a British scientist. And he said, you know what? I think I can do an experiment to settle this dispute once and for all. And he did it. It was called the, uh, uh, the Young's double slit experiment. And what he did, again, I don't have time to get into it, but his experiment seemed to uh, side with Huygens and said, no, Newton was wrong. My experiment shows that light behaves like a wave, like ripples on a pond. And so everybody thought it was settled until then later, a guy named Hertz, not like the rental car company, but his (laughs) name is spelled the same way, but Hertz, who is a German scientist, he did another experiment called the photoelectric experiment. And lo and behold, it totally contradicted Young's double slit experiment. And it seemed to come down on the side of Newton. It seemed to show that no, light is like a particle. And so this threw, and this was like at the end of the 1800s. So this threw science, as you can imagine, into a tizzy. Because now light, which has the sacred status in the universe, it, you know, it's an extremely important element in the universe, a unique element, suddenly we don't know what it's made of. We don't, we can't say if it's particle or wave. Some experiments show that it's one, another experiment shows that another, what's going on? And this is where Albert Einstein came in. He was uh, young, in his young 20s, and he published a paper which actually earned him a Nobel Prize. And he he described uh, uh, light. He said, you know what, guys uh, and gals, light is both things. It's not, we, we've been wrong all along to say that it has to be one or the other. It's actually something we don't understand. I'm going to call it a quantum that is fully particle and fully wave, not half particle and half wave, wow. but fully particle and fully and this wave. Is, well, this is the thing that's just a blow your mind kind of thing, the wave particle <laughs> duality. And yes. when you talk about Jesus as the God man, fully God. Yes. And fully man. Here you've got a walking, talking version of the wave-particle duality in light, which they say God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And here again, bingo, and here again, science is actually making the Bible more credible, not less, because before quantum mechanics came along, before Einstein postulated this notion of something that is fully wave and fully particle, in other words, a it is a, 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 the embodiment of a complete contradiction. Before that happened, people could have said, well, that's stupid to say Jesus is fully man and fully God. That makes no sense. That's just nonsense. Well, you can't say that anymore. You may not believe in Jesus, but you can no longer consider that concept uh, nonsensical because science now has validated that notion. And I go on and on and on about you know Jesus uh, uh, being the incarnation of God. I go into the whole, uh, uh, the issue of what happens when we die and our concept of time and God being an eternal care. Again, we don't have time, but I think this will give your listeners a flavor for what we're talking about, which is, again, I go back to the headline. Two headlines. Number one, science is not demystifying the world. It's actually mystifying it. And number two, science is not invalidating uh, Christianity. It's not making it less credible. It's actually making it more credible, which itself is incredible, right? It's amazing. I mean, I just pulled some other verses on light 
you know, because yeah. it's light is throughout the Bible. And it, sometimes it's just, you know, turn, somebody turn on the lights and, you know, but there are in, in, in 2 Corinthians, there are a couple of verses that actually have three different meanings within the same, same sentence. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And now you got three different kinds of lights in here. And it's like, because light is such a word that we know so much, you just kind of, your mind kind of goes past it. What do you hear when you hear that as a scientist? I, I see this. I go back to First John that says God is light. So, yes, he is physically light, right? He has the sacred status of light that we see. Light gives us an inkling of what kind of being God is. But at the same time, he is also the light of knowledge. In other words, um, you know, there's the Bible verse that says the, a fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom. Now, that word fear is important because everybody says, oh, no, fear and trembling. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that you, oh, God, I'm afraid of God. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the word fear there means respect. So, in effect, the Bible is saying, look, when you respect God, but how can you respect somebody unless you first believe in him? Right? I can't respect somebody I don't even acknowledge, uh, whose existence I don't even acknowledge. So, in effect, the Bible is saying this. When you respect God, when you take God seriously, then you will become wise. You will acquire knowledge. So when I hear that uh, verse, what did you say from First Corinthians? Uh, Second uh, Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Yeah, the, the, that verse, that four six uh, scripture that you you just read. Mm -hmm. When I hear that, that's what I hear. I hear that God is light in a physical sense, but God is also the light of knowledge, and more than knowledge, He is the light of wisdom. That's what I hear. There are a couple of things I want to I want to talk about before we, we end here, but this is, um, and I, I will go to this one first, and I'm going to end with the Jesus one, but the, this one is talking about the question of why we're here is it, not answered by science. I mean, science can tell us a lot of the things of, you know, how the world works that we're here, but it can't tell us why we're here. Um, religion and philosophy is kind of, has that purview, you know, you got to go down the hall in the, in the, in the, in the university. But science yeah. can tell us what the lambda, uh, lambda, the, the cosmological constant is, right? It can help explain, mm -hmm. it, but it, can help, ha, ha, it can't explain why it's there. Explain the lambda, the sort of cosmological constant, and what that means to us. Okay. Boy, you asked the tough questions. <laughs> All right. In 30 seconds or less. Here we go. No. <laughs> uh, uh, Lambda is one of what I call the uh, the vital signs of the universe. You know, like when you go to the doctor, the mm -hmm. doctor will check your pulse and, uh, you know, you, the oxygenation in your blood, you know, your body to uh, your, your mass to fat ratio, et cetera, et cetera. These are indications to the doctor of uh, what uh, what shape are you in? Are you are you healthy? Are you in good shape or not? It, the doctor is able to tell just from those vital signs a whole lot about you, okay? Well, there's an analogous uh, situation in cosmology. We, over the years, we have identified a handful of uh, vital signs that tell us a whole lot about the universe. Mm -hmm. The cosmological constant is one of those. And um, it's, it's important for several reasons. Number one, it tells us how fast the universe is accelerating outward. Okay, that's probably the least interesting one, but it tells us that. 
And that has certain very important implications. The second thing the uh, cosmological constant lambda, capital lambda, uh, uh, tells us is how old is the universe. And that's that's really kind of important. You're the age of the universe, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, is it a teenager? Is it a senior citizen? Is it an infant? Where, where is it along its lifetime? And then thirdly, and this is probably the most important thing it tells us, is that it tells us whether the universe is wired for life. In other words, and I'm not talking about life on Earth. Earth is just a single little planet in the entirety of the universe. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the universe itself. In other words, is the universe fertile ground? Is it is the universe wired in such a way as to allow life to exist, life as we know it? Okay, not just necessarily human life, but life as science understands it. And the resounding answer after, you know, we've, we've spent decades trying to pin down the numerical value of lambda because it is so important. We need to know that number mm-hmm. because then it'll tell us all those things, right? Well, mm-hmm. guess what? We now know the value of lambda so well that we can say with 100% confidence that it has precisely, not approximately, not sort of, not kind of, not in the ballpark of, it has precisely the value it needs to have in order for the universe to be wired for life. In other words, if that value of lambda, if the value of that vital sign were off by just the tiniest bit, I'm talking about orders of magnitude, you know, 0.00000 on and on and on and on. If it were off by just that much, you and I would not be having this conversation. There would be no life on earth. There would be no life in the universe, period. So that raises the question, hey, did we just get lucky? Did Mm -hmm. the universe just hit the jackpot? Or is there more to it than that? And that's where we are right now in cosmology. And in the book, I discuss the various ways in which scientists are kind of twisting and turning and doing mental gymnastics to get get out of trying to explain it without invoking God. Well, this is one of the things you talk about in the book. It says, you know, the chances of winning the lottery is about one in 175 million, right? Yep. The chances of Lambda having the value necessary for life is like one in a trillion, trillion, with about 12 trillions after it. Yes. That's how rare this is. That's yes. And it's like, Okay, so why are we here? And you know, and by the way, and by the way, Lauren, it's not just lambda. There, like I said, we we know of a handful of these vital signs, and guess what? Each one hits the bullseye. Wow! So it's even worse. It's even worse than what, or better, whichever point of view you take. It it is, in other words, and again, I'm talking as a scientist here. Okay, mm-hmm. this is what this is what pushed me over the edge to go from atheism to Christianity. Okay, by way of Hinduism and all that other stuff. Okay, I mean this is I could no longer look at myself in the mirror and call myself a self-respecting intellectual Christian, uh, a scientist, uh, by continuing to ignore the significance of what we have discovered in science, which is our universe is wired for life. How did it come to be that way? That's the question each and every one of the people listening right now has to answer for himself or herself. I have answered it for myself, and I am rock solid in my reasons for why I did. And you know, it's Christianity that we're pointing to because Christianity is the one that lined up with science 
Yeah. Far more than anything else. And one of the things you say in there about Jesus, and this is what I think was important for even Christians who believe in Jesus to know, that if Jesus is God and God is light, it says Jesus was crucified for a cosmic purpose, not just a guy who died on a cross, for a cosmic purpose to repair the breach between humanity and God. That there's a yeah. that, that there is a you could almost a scientific break in the universe that something happened that that kind of created a breach that created a schism between in in a, in a cosmic sense. Can you explain that more? Well, I can. And what I'm going to do because I know our time is limited, but what I'm going to say, I know we've been talking about my book, Believing the Scene. Mm-hmm. But I also have a podcast called Science Plus God. Yeah. And you, you can find it all over the place. Just look, Google Science Plus God with Dr. G. And the reason I'm bringing this up now, Laura, Lauren, is because I actually did an entire podcast on this very question you're asking. It's a very deep question. And, you know, it took me 30 minutes to kind of unpack it pro- properly. So I'm not going to be able to do a proper job of it, but I'll give you the headline again. Mm-hmm. Here again, here again, Lauren. And I, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. You, can, it's like, you, you can't make this stuff up. Um, here again, we have an example of where the Bible makes an assertion. And it seems implausible, and it seems kind of outlandish. And in this case, the the assertion is that God created this kind of perfect universe, right? Mm -hmm. Out of nothing, right? He spoke it into existence. Right. And then he created us, and then something happened. Something broke, not just here on earth, but something broke throughout the universe. Well, guess what? We now know from uh, elementary particle physics, which is what I went into Cornell initially uh, uh, intending to train myself in, elementary particle physics, which is the kind of the fancy newer version of nuclear physics, where you study all kinds of subatomic particles. That was going to be my chosen field, and then I broadened out into uh, physics, math, and astronomy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we've learned from elementary particle physics is this, that the universe came into being. So if you look at the Big Bang Theory and quantum vacuum, all that, what we've, what we've decided in science is that the universe came into being in, in a very perfect state. In other words, a, uni- a perfect universe was created. But then very early on, something broke. We call it symmetry breaking. And I, again, I, and it has to do with the Higgs boson. Uh, again, I can't get into all of it. But right. here again is a parallel, Lauren. And, it, and you know, at some point, if you want to just be honest with yourself, you can't just keep shrugging this stuff off. You can't keep shrugging it off. Well, that's just a coincidence. Well, that's just a coincidence. Well, that's just a coincidence mm-hmm. that science happens to catch up with what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. Well, you know, at some point, come on, be honest. You have to be intellectually honest. And that's that's another reason why I have not stopped asking questions, Warren. I, I will not stop asking questions till they bury me. Uh, in the ground, because I'm just by nature a curious person. And every time I ask questions and tough questions so both science and Christianity and the other religions and all kinds of philosophies, I always come back to the same conclusion. My goodness, Christianity and science just line up like nothing else I've ever explored. Wow. And here is another example of it. It's just, you can't just keep shrugging this off as a coincidence. I certainly can't. 
and and see myself in the in in the mirror. Well, I want to thank you so much. The book is called Believing is Seeing. A physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of faith. And I'll tell you, the contents of the book will blow you away even more. I didn't even get to the left left hemisphere, right hemisphere of the brain thing that just totally blew me away as well. Um, But you got to read the book in order to find out how... You know, we 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 really live in a cosmic version of the Truman Show. I mean, we really do. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh! <laughs> and 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 you need to be like more respective of that executive producer because you know, yep, it's really it's really something there. So, um, Dr. Michael Gillen, I want to thank you so much for being a Lighthouse Faith podcast. Um, uh, I well, I'll direct people to your podcast because you can find out so much more about things that uh, we're talking about here. But read the book and uh, read your other book too, because that's wonderful as well. Uh, but thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. God bless you, Lauren. It was a pure, pure joy. Ah, oh, thank you very much, and thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.